I'm excited this morning to open the Word of God with you. Before I do that, I just want to reinforce some of the things that, that those guys have spoke about, in particular college and Alpha. I'm studying my master's at the moment, I'm actually through New Life College, and it's a fantastic way for you to go deeper in your faith and explore more about what it means to have a theology. We all have a theology, depending on whether it's a good one or a bad one. Theology is the knowledge of God. And New Life College is a great way to form, explore, and encounter God in the truth of His Scripture and the world around us as well. And Alpha, Alpha is such a great opportunity. Every year I get a little scared about because every year I feel God's prompting on my life saying, who are you inviting this year, Michael? And my answer, uh, more often than I'd like to say, is uh, maybe no one. Um, but then last year, that was kind of like the first reaction I had to Alpha advertisement. I just sensed the Holy Spirit prompt me and be like, no, what if this year you became excited about this invitation? What if someone's life was changed because you invited them to Alpha? And Melinda Dwight has a great way of actually re, of, of empowering us to invite someone to Alpha. When I think of inviting someone to Alpha, I, I, I always have in my head of coming along saying, hey, I'm Michael, you know, we're kind of friends, and um, do you want to know more about Jesus? You should, you should come to Alpha, and it's not weird. And, and the more I explain it, the, the, the weirder it becomes, and then they're like, I really don't want anything to do with you, you crazy Bible basher. And they're like, okay, so good. So Melinda Dwight has this great, she runs Alpha Australia. She says, simply, ask someone this question. You ready? This is a game-changing question. Hey, have you tried Alpha? And leave it. Don't explain anything. That's where you fall short because then you make the mistake. And then they'll go, what's alpha? You're like, oh, so great you asked. Then the next thing you can do is, here's the video. Let the video do the explanation. And be like, I would love to go with you to alpha. And, you know, we can just chat about anything. Any questions you have about life or faith or whatever. It's like you don't have to believe anything to come along. And they're like, huh. Now, here's the thing. More people said yes then said no to me last year when I invited them to Alpha by just using that line. I Facebooked a whole bunch of people like, hey, um, have you ever tried Alpha? And then through that conversation, they were just like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. Friends, don't say people's no for them. Something like Alpha, which could actually transform and change someone's life. Um, last year at United Prison, we baptized people who had done Alpha. And so I just want to encourage you. This is an evangelistic tool that we can use for the good of the world and the glory of God. Amen. Fantastic. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, if you don't have your Bibles with you this morning and you do own a Bible, here's my challenge for 2021. Start bringing it to church with you. Because if you're ever going to use your Bible, it's probably going to be here. And here's a really helpful reason. You can know that what I'm saying is actually from what you're reading. That way, you will know that I'm never going to stand up here and go, hey, in Hezekiah uh, chapter 8, verse 10, it says, you should give your lead minister three cars in 2021. <laughs> it's, yeah, who, who said yes to that? That's terrible. That's, that's, that's number one, not in the Bible. Number two, if anyone ever says to you it is, you should probably leave that church. And number three, the reason why we bring our Bible is because it's a communal activity. So I'm not going to throw it up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you, and I'd love to encourage you to bring it along as well, so we can read together. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we come into a great story about Jesus and two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, verse 38, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was... Distracted. Everyone say distracted. distracted. That was great. What was she distracted with? With much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Whether you're online this morning or in this room, would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, more than anything right now, we don't need a man raving on a platform. We need to hear the Holy Spirit. We need to not hear Michael's opinion about Scripture, but the truth of Scripture ruminate and echo in our hearts. So I pray that there would just be any wall, any obstacle would just be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. Soften our hearts to what you want to say. We still our hearts. Holy Spirit, do as you will in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray less of me and more of you. Amen. Amen. January 1 marks for me the beginning of my ninth year at New Life. I've been a pastor at New Life for nine years. I started off as youth pastor, children's pastor, young adults pastor, you know, kind of everything pastor at some stage. And now I have the privilege of being the lead minister. But I remember when I first became a pastor, I hated one question in particular. It was whenever I'd go to a party or a work event or, well, not really a work event because everyone else was pastors there, but, but, but like an event where people were maybe in the secular world or, or weren't involved in church, and they would always ask this question, hey, what do you do for a job? Now, I love asking people that question because they're like, I'm a lawyer. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Or an architect, doctor, teacher, mom, dad, you know, bricklayer, whatever. But then that always turns to me like, hey, Michael, what do you do for a job? And I, I remember when I was young, I'd be like, oh, pastor. They're like, what? I'm like, ah, oh, nothing. Let's just keep going. Because two reasons. I, didn't, I wasn't yet confident enough to know how to share my faith. And what I found out soon is no one ever follows up with me saying I'm a pastor with, oh, please explain to me the fullness of the gospel right now. Like ever. Usually they're like, huh. And what about you, Jim? What do you do for a job? Like, that's usually how it works. But the second thing, the second reason is, is sometimes they would have a follow-up question, which I hated. The follow-up question was this. So they'll go, what do you do for a job? I'd say, oh, I'm a pastor at a local church. And they go, oh, that's cute. So what do you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? <laughs> right? I'm like, now some of you have said this in the courtyard. It's like, my God, was, you know, it was awesome today. Hey, what do you actually do during the week? Like, you know, it's awesome. You just hopped up there and spoke for a little bit. But what, what happens or every other day. Now, um, I understand, but, but having said that, I've never asked an architect, hey, what do you actually do during the week? Like, just draw some cute pictures and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not really. But with pastors, I understand there's an air of mystery. Now, when I was young, um, I, I kind of got insecure about this. And I kind of was like, well, you know what? People don't know what I'm doing, and I'm young, and I need to prove myself. So I decided that I would let everyone know that I had stuff on during the week. I filled my calendar to the max. I was young, first year of marriage, and I was like, let's go. I've got this. I planned out my schedule, packed it as much as I could. And my aim was, in every room, I wanted to be the person that people would look at and go, he's got the biggest capacity, or he's got the largest to-do list, or look how much Michael is doing. You see, friends, I fell into the trap that thinking the word busy 
was a badge of honour to wear next to the name pastor. And I remember when it shifted, people stopped going, so what do you, like, what do, you do during the week? And they started to say, as I ran through the courtyard, hey, hey, Michael, um, I know you're busy, but, and I loved it. I loved it because they knew I was doing something. But here's what they were actually asking. Hey, do you have time to love me? I know you've got a lot of stuff on, but is there time for me? Do you have time to be loved? And I remember reading a book a couple of years ago that shook my reality of how busy I would want to be. When I was exhausted, I was just tired, I wasn't enjoying my job, and all these things. And this book asked this simple question, would you want someone you love to live your life? And it rocked me, because my answer was a profound no. Why would I want anyone I love to be consumed with busyness? But friends, is this not the culture of our world? In fact, I would guarantee the most common word that you hear when you ask someone, hey, how are you, would be, I'm good, just busy. Or, yeah, yeah no, you know, things are going well, I'm just really busy right now. And then there's like this space between like December 26th and December 31st where people are like, I'm fine. And then it starts again. And in fact, many of us know exactly what it means to wear the word busy like a badge of honor. But I want to suggest this. I don't think God ever called us to be busy. I actually have come to believe that following Jesus and being busy are antithetical to each other. That being busy makes following Jesus almost impossible. And the reason why I suggest this is that this year, 2021, we want to kind of return and make sure that we carry the heart of New Life as the forefront thing that we're about. Now, what is our heart? If you ask anyone that's a member of New Life, they'll be able to tell you we're passionate about one thing, seeing more people become more like Jesus. But being busy and becoming more like Jesus, somehow in my own life, my experience is they don't seem to blend well together. And the most important question I think you can ask in 2021 is not... How do I get fitter? It's not how do I get richer? How do I do more? How do I achieve greater heights? Those are fine, but they're not the most important question. See, for the Christian or for those who call New Life Home, I want to suggest that the most important question that we can ask is this. This year, how do I become more like Christ? When was the last time you asked that question at the start of a year? Imagine how different 2020 would have been if that was the question that framed out every day today in the middle of a lockdown and pandemic. How, God, are you calling me to be more like Christ? I think this question isn't peripheral. I want to suggest it's central to the life of following Jesus. Friends, when was the last time you asked that question? And not only is this central to who we are, it's kind of how I want to start the year because I think for many of us, we already have allowed the pressures of this year to begin to squeeze God out of our calendar. And the question I think we need to meditate on is what would it look like for you to be more like Jesus? Now, why is busyness so antithetical to following Jesus? There was a pastor, a man I respect deeply and was formative in my early years, a guy named John Orberg. And when John Orberg moved to Chicago, he rang one of his mentors named Dallas Willard. 
And, and, and he said to Dallas, well, Dallas, I'm, I'm busy at the moment. Like I'm dropping kids off at soccer practice. I'm going to see movies with my wife on date night. I'm working hard and everything's just full and, and it's a bit hectic. But I want to ask you a question, question, Dallas. How do I achieve spiritual health? Dallas Willard paused. Paused again. Then answered. To achieve spiritual health, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Altberg wrote that down. It's like, fantastic, I've got it. What's next? <laughs> Dallas Willard paused again. He said, nothing. This is it. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And, and, and the idea, the author who tells the story goes on and says that he's concluded that his life and the well-being of the people that he serves depends on following this prescription. For hurry, hear this, friends, is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Hurry will destroy our souls. Hurry will destroy our souls. How is your soul heading into 2021? How is your soul heading into 2021? You know, this, this, this story and this idea of hurry actually comes from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I picked it up at the start of 2020 and I read it and it had a profound impact on my life. The author John Mark Comer diagnoses that there is a problem in our world and it's called hurry. Now, I've actually given this book to a lot of people and we have stocked our bookshop with, filled with it because we would love to encourage you in January to read this book as part of our Rhythm series. It's, it's going to challenge you. I gave this book to a close friend and, and they started reading it and they came back to me a couple of days later and they said, hey, I can't finish the book. It's too challenging for me. Ultimately, I'm too hurried and I don't know how to stop. 50 years ago, uh, two cardiologists noticed that in their waiting room, each of the chairs in their waiting room, cardiologist is a heart surgeon or like a heart doctor, each chair in the waiting room was wearing out in the same place, right on the edge of the seat and on the armrests. And they found out that when people were waiting, they were sitting literally on the edge of their seats and pulling at the armrests. They found these people who had unhealthy hearts were facing this feeling whilst they were waiting in line of a chronic sense of urgency. And so they sat on the edge of their seat. These two doctors actually titled this as hurry sickness. They actually established a new disease called hurry sickness. And the way they diagnosed it was hurry sickness arises from an insatiable desire to accomplish too much or take part in too many events in the amount of time available. The hurry sick person is unable to acknowledge that he can only do a finite number of things. As a consequence, they never cease trying to stuff more and more events into their constantly shrinking reserve of time. Friends, do you know what it's like to have hurry sickness? Can I confess? I do. But here's what John Mark Comer in the book reveals. Jesus never seems to be hurried. I don't know if you've read the Gospels, but Jesus never really seems to be walking somewhere and like, all right, Peter, we've got five minutes. What do you want to talk about? He, instead of riding on a chariot, he walked around the whole of the Middle East. And when he did choose to ride, he rode a donkey, the slowest animal he could have chosen probably. Now, you might be like, well, I mean, Michael, it's a bit different back then. Like, Jesus, different time, different days. And, you know, he doesn't have five kids and my workload. He doesn't quite understand. Jesus had three years to take 12 nobodies, one of who would betray him, and turn them into leaders of one of the greatest revolutions known to man in the last 2,000 years. He had three years to prepare his followers for his impending death as he took on the weight of the world and overcame the power of death itself. Seems like Jesus had a little bit on his plate. 
Yet Jesus, in John chapter 3, late at night, there's a knock on his door. It's Nicodemus. Wanting to spend time with him, Jesus is like, bro, I've got to wake up early in the morning. Like, let's make this fast. No, he sits with him, and we find in that moment evokes one of the greatest scriptures of all time, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This, this comes from a sense of Jesus creating space. Jesus would come across crowds when he's on his way to hang out with his disciples, and instead of going, all right, guys, I was actually doing something else, he is interruptible and has compassion upon them. You never find Jesus walking up the Sermon on the Mount, and when the leper comes across and says, Son of David, heal me, he doesn't go, well, I've got two minutes to get this done. Be healed, boom, next thing. No, there is a sense where Jesus walks slow. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that Jesus had an empty calendar. He always had a full schedule, always. See, hurry is a pace of our souls, not the size of our calendars. Friends, I feel like God this year is calling us to walk at a different pace. Walter Adams, the spiritual director to C.S. Lewis, says this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it ever. More than anything this year, the world does not need a more efficient you. The world is not hungry for you to be more productive. What the world needs is a people who are more like Jesus. Because more than anything, this world doesn't need someone that's fitter, healthier, you know, richer, achieving all their goals. This world needs a people who know the solution to the world's greatest problem. His name is Jesus. The world needs disciples of Christ. How are you becoming like Jesus this year? See, friends, to live the life that Jesus lived, we need to walk the way Jesus walked the way he walked, his rhythms, his pace, his journey. So this year, this, this January season, what we're doing is this series called Rhythms is all about what would it look like for us to walk in the rhythm of Christ? To walk in the rhythm of a person, a man who was God, who changed the course of history forever. Surely his rhythm must have something to offer us. What would this mean? Because I think Jesus is calling us not just to serve him, but to walk with him. And this is what we find in the story in Luke chapter 10. Two sisters encounter the pace of Christ. We read this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, I want to note a couple of things. Martha initiated the interaction. Martha opened her home to Jesus. This is going to be really important when we look at Martha's motivations in just a moment. That Jesus is so famous that when he comes to a village, this woman named Martha knows, oh, I want to be the one who hosts him. So Martha and Mary go on to be friends of Jesus. Their brother Lazarus is raised from the dead by Jesus Christ in another moment. But, but there's this sense when Martha initiates the relationship, and it's so important we recognize Martha was the one who wanted to spend time with Jesus. But Martha's not the only person in this story. We read on. Jesus and his full litany of followers, whether it was 12 or 100 people, all cram into Martha's whatever size living room, and there they are as they hang out together. And we read about Martha's siblings. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Why is it so important to know where Mary was sitting? 
Now, I know when someone comes over your house, the last place you're probably going to be found is sitting at their feet. That's bizarre. You'd probably sit on a couch or whatever, unless you do sit at someone's feet, in which case, all power to you. I'm sure that's fine. But back in ancient Judaism, there was a reason why someone sat at someone's feet. It was a reference to a relationship. See, to sit at someone's feet in ancient Judaism was to signify that you were wanting to become or had become their disciple. You sat at the feet of a rabbi to not only learn from him, but to become like him. And this is why it's so important to point this out, because this is a cultural moment where a revolution is taking place in Martha and Mary's living room. Why? Women should not be disciples of rabbis. Back in ancient Judaism, that was the way the belief was. It was uncommon for women to become disciples of rabbis. Now, let me be clear, I do not think that that's the case anymore because what we see here is Jesus intentionally allowing something to take place so that he starts to unpick the social structures and power dynamics of the day. This is a beautiful moment. And just to sidebar for a second, what we see here is about the character of Christ. This man named Jesus is a rabbi who is different from any rabbi that's come before. He welcomes children. He ushers the minorities to come close. And he elevates women to a place of influence they had previously been denied. This man named Jesus is worth considering, friends, if you have not yet. He comes to not fulfill cultural stereotypes, but to challenge them and usher people into the way of the kingdom of God. So why is Mary wanting to be Jesus' disciple? Because you see, Mary and Martha, the whole way through this narrative, are juxtaposed next to each other. Martha, in this moment, sees an obligation Mary sees an opportunity. Martha, in this moment, sees an expectation on herself. Mary sees a moment of transformation. Martha is horrified as she sees cultural obstacles being challenged. Mary is delighted as she sees cultural obstacles shift. See, Mary chose how she wanted to spend her time. She wanted to dwell at the feet of Christ. Why? Because to do so meant that she was hungry to become like Jesus. And here's here's the thing that blows my mind. She didn't even know everything we knew about Jesus, yet she was more willing to create time to sit at his feet than so many of us are. She longed because she recognized that the world didn't need a fitter Mary, a richer Mary, a better Mary, a Mary that had great New Year's resolutions that were better than 2020 and took into the idea that maybe a pandemic point two is going to come back. Who knows? No, she knew maybe that the answer to the world might be becoming like this rabbi who welcomes women, minorities, children, and all people to become his disciples. This is the significant moment in the story because, friends, the world needs Jesus And the reason why we're called to become like him is that we might be his very hands and feet in the world around us. See, sometimes we spend most of our year getting in the way with our priorities rather than going, hey, Jesus, what's your priority for 2021? To become more like Jesus is to be far less focused on what you need to do and be focused on who you get to meet every single day. So where was Martha? when this cultural revolution was taking place in her living room. Well, we read, Martha was, only an acoustic was with me. Awesome. I hope you're all still awake. Let's try it again. Martha was, Martha was distracted. 
Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Friends, in these three words, we see, I think, the greatest spiritual warfare of our day. Martha was distracted. Seems to have been a problem for the last 2,000 years and a problem that is still prevalent in the world today. Understand this. Who invited Jesus into her home? Martha. And yet she was distracted from the very presence of the one she longed to dwell with by priorities Jesus hadn't given her and expectations no one had asked her to take up. Mary chose a better way, but Martha missed out on the opportunity. And I want to suggest that this is exactly what hurry does to us. Hurry prioritizes things that God's not prioritizing and actually eats away at our inner soul as we allow ourselves to be distracted by the world around us. Friends, there's this new phenomenon happening in the last decade called the, the attention economy. The attention economy. And the whole idea behind the attention economy is this, is that there are corporations and businesses that profit off their ability to keep your attention, to keep you distracted. It's how Instagram, Facebook, most social media and streaming sites make their money is by merely keeping you attentive to whatever they're showing you. And I, I think we have become unaware of the great spiritual warfare of our time because we have allowed ourselves to become inexcusably distracted by the things of this world. On average, the, the, on average, the attention span of most humans these days is seven seconds. A goldfish is nine. Goldfish are probably doing better with Jesus than most of us. That should be something that challenges us. And we excuse it because we see these things as ways that we refill our hearts and souls. We're like, well, you know, I just spend time on social media or the internet or watching television. And we don't recognize, I'm not saying any of these are wrong. I have them all. But they are distracting us from what God is calling us to pay attention to. To Him. How little we gaze upon Jesus and how much we need to. If we were to do a pie chart of everything you spend being attentive towards, how much would God have? How much of that pie chart would be allocated to Christ? John Mark Comer, in his book, Ruthless Elimination, says this, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Mary Oliver says it like this, attention is the beginning of devotion. We're all devoted to something. You're most devoted to that which captures your attention the most. But here's what I've also come to learn. Friends, we become like the things we pay the most attention to. What has your attention? What has your attention in 2021? Because there is a world out there that is competing to say, hey, just, just squeeze God out because you can't fit him in. I, I want to suggest that maybe, maybe our, our, our engagement with God is defined too much by our calendars when I actually believe our calendar should be defined by our engagement with God. And, and for me, this has been challenging because I don't want to suggest, hey, let's all make sure we're spending 15 minutes with God a day. Hey, let's put another expectation on us. See, the beauty of the Christian faith is Jesus is here. He is with us. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he's not just always with us. He's always in us and present. And I miss this. Like, I have a son, 15-month-old named Archer, beautiful young boy, but I'm still learning the, the rhythms of being a dad. And I used to wake up at 5 a.m. every day and read my Bible. I still try to do that. But then Archer also wakes up at 5 a.m. and he has no interest in reading my Bible with me. 
So Archie comes along, he's like pulling on my leg, and I'm like, I'm trying to be holy, like, go away. You know, I don't actually kick my son, ever, ever, right? Just so we're clear, that was just a comedic thing. Anyway, um, there's this moment where, where, where I'm standing there, and I'm like, well, you're not going to leave me alone. I'm not spending time with you, so I'll just go hang out with you. And I remember distinctly at the start of COVID, I was frustrated with Archer because I'm like, you're not allowing me to be holy. And the, the Holy Spirit in this moment just prompted me and, and just said, I am here right now. I'm with your son and you in this moment. Give me your attention. I've learned more from God in spending time with my son not because I'm giving him my full, Archer my full attention, but because I'm aware and, and, and asking the Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? Friends, how many of us are spending drives trying to get there faster, hurrying, breaking the speed limit, when Jesus is in the car going, hey, I would just love to chat. Hurry is distracting us from the one who is longing for our attention. Attention is the beginning of devotion. So Martha comes out to Jesus and, he, and, and she accuses him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And what's happening in this moment? What's happening in this moment is what happens in almost every moment with most Christians, with most people in the world. We cover up our real motivations by trying to disguise them as doing right things. Jesus, I'm in the kitchen. Like, get this slacker. In fact, most people who are busy hate people who are not busy. You're the problem with the world, right? That's how we talk. Well, if you were more productive, society would be a better place. And we find people aren't as busy as us. And then we like, well, they don't have my calendar. So of course they're closer to Jesus. Like we make it an issue. But what we're actually doing, what Martha's actually doing, most theologians would agree, is that she's disguising the insecurity of her heart by trying to purvey or portray a security of her workload. We mask the fact that we're worried about what people think about us and we disguise it with feigning interest and care for other people. We mask doing the right thing when we're just trying to find acknowledgement and worth. And when Jesus challenges us, hey, why are you so busy? We're like, I'm just doing what, what I should be doing. And Jesus is like, yeah, but why? See, the problem with Martha was not that she was making dinner. I'm sure everyone appreciated that. The issue was why. Her motivation was to cover up the anxiety and the worries and the fears that lay festering in her heart. And friends, this is what hurry does. It gives us the opportunity to distract ourselves from who we really are. It steals moments of introspection where God might speak and say, hey, there's this thing going on in your heart. And we're like, oh, no, no, hang on. I'll get to do it after this Netflix episode. Oh, well, you know, I'm looking after the kids, so let's just, let's just move this to the side. And the Holy Spirit's like, ah. Oh. So much of your problem is coming from your inability to stop and ask and run at the rhythm that I have called you to run. See, there's actually this thought. A man named Michael Ziglieri uh, did research into this, and he said that uh, the cycle of busyness is actually something which is fastly killing the Christian spirituality in the West. He says there's five stages to this happening. The first stage is that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness. Hurry and overload, which leads to stage two. God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to stage three. A deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to stage four. Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which ultimately what that's saying is this. You'll, you'll form the opinions of the place you spend most of your time giving your attention to. So if you're looking at Facebook, Facebook's going to define what you believe 
more than Scripture or the Word of God. And number five, which leads to conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Friends, I see this in my life. What is forming you? In 2021, we have this opportunity to actually decide the first thing that goes in is, hey, how does our engagement with God define our calendar? How does it define our rhythm? This is what Jesus says to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, there is only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it's not going to get taken from her. You know, COVID took away many things from us all last year. But one thing it could not have stolen was the attention we were able to give to God. I don't know about you, but when lockdown happened, I became more aware of how much time I didn't give God attention. It was a startling mirror at the reality of what was gripping my heart. And as anxieties and worries, like with Martha, rose up, I just tried to distract myself. What Jesus is suggesting here is these anxieties and worries that you think you're important, what would they look like if you brought them and you sat with them at my feet? If you spoke to me about them instead of to all the other platforms? What would it look like if you didn't medicate your own, your own concerns, but you actually came and said, hey, Jesus, how do I deal with this? Now, I want to make a distinction. I'm not talking about seeing to a doctor about mental health or anything like that. I think all of that's good. I'm more talking about those moments when we know we have concerns or worries rise up and our first thing is not to run to Jesus, it's to run anywhere else. And Jesus is like, I actually have something to offer this, but your hurry is leading you away from me. So I want to ask you this question. In 2021, what would it look like for you to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus? What are the distractions that are making that impossible? Because already I know some of you have been like, oh man, it's just uh, A, B, and you start listening. Okay, well, let's, what are the things that are distracting you from learning to sit at the feet of Jesus? And it's going to look different for everyone. For the mother of five, it's going to look different than the single young adult. For the retiree, it's going to look different than the lawyer who's working full time. It's going to look different for everyone, but everyone can answer this question in their own way. What does it look like for me to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus? Because I believe this more than anything, that rhythms that are centered on Christ are a form of spiritual warfare. In an age where distraction and attention are leading us down paths we don't want to choose, what we choose to do with the rhythm of our life is a form of spiritual warfare. We're choosing to have a rhythm of walking with Christ is one of the greatest things you can do to push back the darkness in this world. What do your rhythms look like this year? What would it look like for you to walk with Christ? What if this was the biggest priority we had? Everything else that you're hoping for would fall into line because it would be shaped by a longing to be more like Jesus. You know, Jesus kind of repeats this this thought, not just to Martha, but throughout the New Testament. In fact, if we go to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, uh, the, 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 the apostle John actually gives a letter to the church in Ephesus where Jesus reinforces this heart. He says to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds. I know your calendar. Boy, you're busy. Your hard work and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. Awesome. I don't tolerate them that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. So you've tested people who are saying things they shouldn't. That's awesome. And, and you've found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardship for my name and haven't grown weary. 
What's, what's Jesus saying? He was like, man, your calendar's full. You're doing great things for the kingdom. But I hold this against you. You've lost your first love. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, more than I want your service, I want your attention. I want you to be in love with me, but I want you to know how much I love you. Return to me, friends. What if we started this year strongly with Jesus as our first and foremost love, and that was reflected in the rhythm that we lived? Now already, I recognize some of you going, oh, Michael, this is just too hard. Like, if I told you 2021's already on top of me, I've got A, B. Maybe your, your calendar is already burgeoning and full. Maybe some of you are sitting here going, I'm, I'm not going to spend time with Jesus because you know what? Uh, if I do, he's going to reveal things in me that I don't want to confront. And it's going to be painful and, and, and hurt. Or maybe some of you are just like, I don't know what I'm going to discover if I slow down. That's too hard and you're scared. And to each of you, Jesus preaches the gospel like this. Jesus testifies to the gospel by saying these beautiful words in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He's not just talking about calendars. Here he's talking about sin. All those who don't have it together, who are afraid that 2021 is going to be exactly the same as the last year, come to me, take my yoke, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your distracted souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it like this. Are you tired? Michael, it's January 3rd. I think some of you know exactly what it means. Are you weary? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I can't do church anymore. I've come back because I thought I could, but I, I just can't do this religious thing of expectation and wait upon who I am. Friends, listen to the words of Christ. Come to me. Get away with me, Jesus says, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Friends, listen to that. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. This is a beautiful line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, what if 2021 was the year we learned to live freely and lightly? That's on offer. That's who Jesus is. It's what he came to do. This is the gospel to a weary world. The first thing he gives us rest from is our sin. And then from then it just gets better. He gives us rest from striving, from earning, from achieving, from our worries and anxieties. What would it look like for you to sit at the feet of the one who offers real rest this year? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just pause for a moment and we just acknowledge that maybe this has raised some uncomfortable truths for us or maybe some better hopes for us. But we just want to spend the moment. What are you saying right now?
I just uh, sometimes we have a sense of what the Holy Spirit might be doing in a moment, and we just test it out. And just as we're all prayerful right now, I just sense um, there's someone here who's, who's literally saying, "I don't know if I can let it go. My busyness is all that I have." Almost like this fear of who will you be if you're not busy. And I just have a sense from, from the Holy Spirit just saying, um, come and become who I've called you to be. It's far better. But you've got to let it go first. Father, if that's us, I pray right now that we'd hear a new identity being spoken over us. Not a lawyer, doctor, mother, teacher, bricklayer, friend. We hear you saying, come be a son and a daughter of God. I carry the weight. There are some of you here who feel powerfully that you long to have the weight of your sin and shame and guilt removed from your life. That when I talk about Jesus says, come and have a rest from your past and that you might know a future of life and, and living lightly and freely, there is a yearning in you. Could it be true? This room is filled with people who testify to yes. We are all sinners that have been forgiven by grace, by Jesus himself. And I want to offer you that if you come today and you ask Christ for forgiveness, and choose to follow Him as your Lord and Savior. He washes away what's been done and calls you into what He has planned for you. It's a beautiful future, but the first step is responding to Him. And so if you're sitting here today and you're, you're just in this prayerful moment with, with people's eyes bowed, and heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd love to ask, are you willing to come to Him who wants to give you an easy burden, whose yoke is light as He takes away the sin in your heart and gives you back an identity of grace? If you want to respond to Jesus today and say, I need that forgiveness, would you just raise your hand wherever you are right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Just keep your hands raised just for a moment longer. Father, I thank you there are people with hands raised. And I thank you for people having the courage not to be shy, but to step out and say, I need forgiveness. Lord, I thank you that they're not responding to me, Lord. As they respond to you, Jesus, May there be an overwhelming sense of freedom and lightness that descends upon them. If your hand is raised or was raised, you can, you can just drop that now in this moment. But, but what I want to do is ask you to pray a prayer after me. And this is a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's a spiritual prayer. Every Christian prays it all the time because we always come back to Christ. So I'm going to ask every Christian in this room to pray this prayer with me. But if you are wanting to and pray this prayer for the first time, it's a prayer I want to teach you that you can pray every day as you come to know Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, and your friend. So if that's you, if you want to join with the Christians in the room to pray and ask God to take away the burden, you can just repeat these words after me. Dear Lord Jesus, we're going to get all Christians to pray dear. We can do better than that. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Come and take the weight off my shoulders. Teach me to walk with you. I repent and follow you. Be my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Father, I pray for all those who responded for the first time today that there would be a sense of freedom descend upon them, that they would know that that sin and that shame they've been carrying, God, you forgive it, not because you don't know it, but because you know who you called them to be and created them to be. Father, in the fullness of everything, we join in with heaven as we celebrate right now and thank you that, God, you are calling us home continually to be your sons and daughters. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that what you have ended today would be sin, but what begins would be new life and life with you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.